1: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChumbaCasino.com. Welcome to the family.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Horror to Wild West, Tall Poppy Syndrome, and praising La Theater. Three of many topics on today's episode. I'm your host, Sean Chandler, and you're listening to Your Program Is Your Ticket. A discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. Shelby Bond, the creative mastermind behind Mind's Eyes Adventure Party, is part of the continuation of a series called Act Two Places, which gives theater folks an opportunity to discuss the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on them and their organizations and their plans for reemergence. Mind's Eye Adventure Party is a wonderful, interactive online event hosted by an adventure guide and storyteller, and was created as a solution to the isolation many are feeling during the COVID-19 pandemic. Keep in mind that our interviews are recorded at different times to optimize schedules, just in case the audio sounds different here and there. Let's bring them on. Hi, Shelby, and welcome to your program, Is Your Ticket. Hey, Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are things in California? Weird weird.
2: (laughs) It is a strange uh, thing out here, uh, especially for us actors.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. No,
2: no, I I can tell you all sorts of good things. I live in, I live close to the hills. I take lots of walks with coyotes and there's a random uh, mountain lion that lives up above my house. So there's, there's still excitement. What? A mountain lion? Mm -hmm. Yeah. P-22. Wow. Where, where do you live?
0: You could just Uh, tell me the city so nobody stalks you.
2: Hollywood. Yeah. I'm in Franklin Village.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's (laughs) nice.
2: Anyway, so things are interesting. They're they're fine.
0: You know, they're fine. Oh, okay. Well, well, that's good. I mean, you know, mountain lions aside, I'm glad that you're doing well, it seems like. And you have this incredible company that's doing a lot of great things, um, providing uh, some excellent alternatives as we go through uh, COVID-19, the dreaded COVID-19. But before we get into that, why don't, we start with you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your very, very extensive background. Oh, thanks. Um, well, you're a playwright,
2: Sean. I, I am. As I know. Uh, so is my mother. And so I grew up in the theater. My, my mom is, uh, she wrote uh, some great shows. So I, growing up, I was always backstage at theaters. Uh, ever since I could walk, I've been on stage. My mom wrote uh, Swing Time Canteen with Charles Bush stuff. And... So I love the theater, and of course, those of us that love the theater, some of us come out to L.A. to make it in the movies and then start to miss the theater. So <laughs> I, it wasn't long that I was out here when I started realizing to do um, film and TV, you ha- there are so many gatekeepers to get to do film and TV. There are so many moving parts. Uh, so before I knew it, I was producing theater because <laughs> that I knew how to do, and I knew how to do on my own, and I... And you know, people always ask me, like, wait, you make a living doing theater in L.A.? How do you do that? And I say, the way to make a living in L.A. doing theater is to leave L.A. So I, I was on on tour most of the year on the road uh, for 20 years, over 20 years. I've done fringe festivals, theater festivals um, from Adelaide to, to Edinburgh to Canada, all over. And so my living, I was the quintessential touring performer um, before covid
0: so, so basically, born in a trunk.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I never fully unpack a suitcase. Even though COVID's been going on for a year, I still have a half-packed suitcase at the end of my bed. Um, wow. And I had to reassess everything um, that was that was my life. Wow, um, talk about that a little bit. Well, so I, I love the theater i love the way the theater was already evolving pre-covid things were evolving to be uh there was so much immersive theater going on so i moved to london for two years and got my master's at the royal central school of speech and drama and i uh specialized in experimental and uh immersive participatory theater and that was what i was loving doing i was creating very small shows you know 10 people per audience these kind of uh interactive experiences and um my company was kind of completely dedicated to producing shows around the world that were all audience interaction. And I was all set to expand and to do shows, you know, not just at festivals like Edinburgh and and throughout Canada, but also to go and start these kind of, um, if if you know Punch Drunk in London, London, they do these big interactive shows. But I was doing stuff, smaller ones called the shadow space, where the audience would show up and the audience were ghosts. And would get to interact and move through a house where there were living people that couldn't see them, and so I was creating uh, what I was really loving creating something interactive, and then covid hits and with covid, we all spent and don't try to deny it about ten hours a day on watching things on a screen. we all do there's mm-hmm. so much netflix there's so much and and even I was going to stand up shows and things like that, and it was just once again we were all spectators, which is exactly what I was trying to get away from where we weren't we weren't just watching someone talk at us or just idly sitting back and eating a sandwich while somebody did some theater. So I, I didn't know what to do. It, it, it took me many months to figure out not just how to make a living and not starve to death, but how to entertain again in a way that I thought was exciting.
0: Wow. You must have some sort of hidden camera in my house because eating <laughs> sandwiches and watching TV for 10 hours a day is... Well, we can are- I go take a walk? Yes. Do I go take a walk? No. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, yeah. And we were all kind of waiting this out at first. You know, mm-hmm. the first couple of months was like, I can wait at home. Fine. And then, you know, and then a year goes by and we realized we can't, we can't wait it out. Wow. So what well. do we do? How do we, how do we evolve? How do we, you know, uh make it, how do we be entertained and not just have it be so idle? So I was watching my little um, my my nephew, and he was just all day in Zoom school, bored out of his mind. Mm-hmm. And nothing against the teachers; they're working really hard. Sure. But you know, you've got a class of kids, and you're having to just hit mute all all the time to try to get everyone to pay attention. And I started thinking, how can these kids do something that's interactive and not just screen time? And yeah. that's where I started creating this.
0: Okay, very very good. I can go yeah. on. Now, this is a, a product out of your Mind's Eye uh, company, correct? Yep. And and it's called Adventure Party. Why don't you tell us about that? Okay.
2: All right. Let's go back in time to my childhood growing up in Midland, Texas. Now, Midland, Texas is where George Bush grew up. We did not have a prom. We had a dance called Katoika, which is short for the Cattle, Oil, and Cotton Dance. That's the town I grew up <laughs> trying to do theater in. And I needed an escape when I was a a kid and a teenager. We all kind of hate where we're teenagers, but definitely if you grow up in Midland, Texas, you are anxious to get out. So my friends and I started playing role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons. And there are a bunch of them, Champions and Shadowrun, a bunch of role-playing games where you get to escape into other worlds. And that was, uh, we would all get together and we would go on adventures. And So when I was watching my nephew and how how passive he was in these in these Zoom schools, and then he'd go from that to sitting watching more YouTube to sitting watching Disney Plus, you know, and I thought I thought back on when we used to escape from that little that little town I grew up in to different worlds. And so at the time I was reading the Outlander books. Have you heard of those? Uh,
0: I've heard of them, but I don't think I've ever read them.
2: It's about a woman who gets sucked back in time to 18th century Scotland. And I thought, how can I take people and transport them out of their lockdown rooms where they can't hang out with their friends and make it a party and go on an adventure and have a a party with all our friends where they're drinking games and our choices determine whether or not we live or die or succeed these wild adventures. And so I started creating different adventures and each one of them is like a separate interactive show. So the first one was the Scottish one. I thought, that'll be fun. We'll go back into Scotland, which is what I'm dressed for now. Uh, And then I thought, oh, we could go to the Wild West. And then I thought, oh, we could do a horror one. Oh, wait, we could do Myths and Monsters. Then we could do sci-fi. Then I started creating different shows. And each one of them, from between for up to 20 people, uh, the people's choices and the roll of the dice decides whether or not they succeed, whether or not they live or die, whether or not they Accomplish different tasks to where I'm just a guide, but their choices make their story. It's like a choose your own adventure kinda
0: yeah, uh, How many options are there for endings or resolutions per per story
2: well it is it is l- limitless what they can choose to do, but I guide it like a storyteller i'm very into you heard, Have you heard of the moth no. The moth storytelling story hour is very uh, into crafting stories. So whatever they choose, I try to craft a narrative around it. And sometimes they make it out and and save the town. Sometimes, like last night, uh, I was doing a show for an Australian festival here from my living room, and a um, uh, one of the bad guys chucked a stick of dynamite at the group of adventurers. And one of them decided that they were going to catch it and try to throw it away to save the group, and they exploded. It wasn't it wasn't my choice. They were they did a really horrible roll of the dice and one of the people in our adventure party exploded. And uh they, so that that I can't decide whether or not that
0: happens. They rolled 21s. And 21s means a critical failure. Critical failure and that is interpreted by somebody grabbing a stick of dynamite that's being thrown instead of avoiding it. And yeah. that and and the 21s on the dice make that call for you.
2: Right. So in a way, I'm not I'm not deciding whether or not they live or die. It is up to the dice. So in a way, it's like a game, but I leave it up to them. They're making the choices in the story. And my whole goal is just to get us up again, get us interactive. Throughout the story, people are up and running around their house, finding things in their house that they need, like rope or a plant or whatever they might need for the adventure. So it's really active, and that's my whole role, is to make theater online participatory
0: again. That's great. Thanks. No, no, I was just trying to put it together. I've never been one who's been uh, a, a player of, you know, board games. And I just tell people I've never played a game of Candy Crush in my life. So that's, <laughs> well, that's if, whatever that tells you, it's it's just not something I do. I, I would rather read. So this is actually very, very impressive. And um, I'm it, it, just, just the questions that it begs for, for, for people, it just shows that there was a lot of thought that was put into the whole system. And, um, that's cool because, you know, you're, you're having people come in, come in and engage with you. And one of the great things about playing games though, is, is figuring them out, um, understanding your, um, you know, your, the edge that you would have, of, uh, w- with other people being competitive about them. So, you're not taking that away from the people who are doing your adventure parties. And I think that's really cool.
2: Thanks. Well, you know, figure, why do we go to the theater? You know, we want an escape. Uh, we maybe want to see things shown on stage that make us reflect and think about our own life or mm-hmm. rethink things. Um, I like that, that in immersive theater, people are kind of storming the stages and be, and the fourth wall is changed completely. So, how I love a good story, but I
0: want the audience to be a part of that story. Hmm. Very nice. That's great. Uh, That's what a lot of people are doing right now. They're they're engaging the audience like never before. And uh, they're just doing it in such wonderful, creative ways. Because as you said, you know, Zoom, which which is cool and novel, 15 months ago. I mean, I I didn't even know what it was last time. I mean, was like FaceTime and that's, that was complicated enough, but it's become something that we're all used to and that we deal with all the time. So the fact that, that what you're doing is, is heightening that I just, I just think it's, it's tough to do. And I'm sure that there were a lot of things that you had to think of that you maybe wouldn't have thought of before. Did you do this before as um, like in person or did, or was, um, Adventure Party, COVID-born. It was COVID-born, and okay. I think it
2: is, you know, a part of this new movement as we're all trying to evolve to figure out how we can engage audiences online and make it um, and really connect. That's all it's about. How do you connect with an audience? True. And uh, what I'm trying to do is connect by making them the storytellers, part of the storytellers within the within the experience.
0: Now, you're not the only one who is part of the team that. Is a guide. Are you, are there other guides that, uh, do other parties as well or other events as well?
2: Yeah. As I, uh, have been, as this has been growing and luckily, you know, I started, I thought it was just going to be, honestly, I thought just kids birthday parties. You know, I thought, well, kids, they need to, they need to have some fun and with their friends. And I, so I did a few of those and I was loving it. Before I knew it, it was all my, adult friends that were like, yeah, I'm going to get my group to te- my work group together. Like just last hour, I was doing a group of teachers. And I was really surprised. I said to the group of teachers, I said, you all spent all day on zoom. Aren't you sick of it? They said, well, not like this. We've never done anything like this. And so as I've gotten more, um, demand, I've brought in other adventure guides to, to guide things. And we all kind of have our specialties. Some people love. Uh, leading the kind of fantasy, myths, and monsters, epic adventures. Some people are really into horror, so they take people on these horror uh, trips. But I keep writing new shows. And I see this as – I hope that even after COVID is over um, that I can continue doing these because they've turned out to be – whether – you know, you might have family in California, but you live in New York. You might have – you know, you can still find ways to get together with people. Have you noticed on Zoom that you've started – Getting together with people you've kind of lost touch with over the
0: years, um, yeah. I, uh, n- not me. No, I, I haven't. No, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know. I've had reunions and things like that. So, see, that's that's because you're very very charming and people like you. You people what? people like me for the for the forty five minutes I I have them hostage on my show <laughs> it yeah. is the most pleasurable hostage situation i've ever been in so. Well, thank you very much you know and you know, just hopefully the options aren't you know you don't have a multitude of hostage <laughs> options although in your mind you might because you know that could hey hey we're coming up with a new adventure party right here oh, in hostage. this interview mm, that sounds dark and fun it's, was... it's on the board right now it's on the board 18 plus. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Maybe a diehard. I'll do it. Give it a Christmas theme and make it a diehard style, style adventure where you're, you're one of the hostages and, and what is it? the plus. Anyway.
0: Yes. You've given me ideas. Sure. I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) How Um, long does it take for you to write uh, uh, one of those scripts and with all of its bells and whistles and techniques and stuff like that?
2: Well, like I said, I, I consider the audience to be writers with me. So I create, you know, like, for example, the Wild West adventure. I wanted to bring people to the Wild West and have them get to ride horses and, you know, have six shooters and do the whole thing. But I wanted to make it bigger than just going into a Wild West town and having a shootout. So I started looking at history and I found this thing, a true piece of history called the Barbed Wire War. And during the Barbed Wire War, that's when uh, cattle barons were starting to close off public lands to people. And so people were fighting and being killed over whether or not their cattle could get to water. And so I started looking at this whole thing. And so I take people and kind of throw them in the middle of the barbed wire war. And so for me, I love the research, you know, like when it was the Scottish adventure, I started looking into the, the, um, the end of clan rule in Scotland. And I just love the research and putting people into it, whether or not it's fantasy or a piece of history. I love stories. It's all about stories, right? Isn't that why we
0: love theater? Sure. Absolutely. Characters and stories. So do you, so if it's something that we've seen a lot of, um, at least for the adults and the corporate parties who I assume are for the poor adults, mm-hmm. um, do you not let yourself off the hook when you're doing your research and say, by saying, that's a little, that's a story we've heard for over and over and over again, I'm going to push myself a little bit further and find something unique and different about that particular motif, if you will. Absolutely.
2: You know, and you... You know, the stereotypes might get people in. But once they're in there, you know, people want to know what the hook of any show is. But once they're in there, how do you flip it? You know, how do you make it uh, a unique experience? And for me, it's that the audience, no matter what you plan in improv, it's not going to go as you plan. And you need to stop planning it because then you're not listening well. You're just figuring out a new way to talk at people without listening to them. So shows surprise me. Every show surprises me and is different. And that's why I love immersive theater. That's why I love interactive stuff and improv because you don't know which way the audience is going to choose to walk once they're in a story.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, How do you, how do you deal with and train your team to deal with people who maybe you're just kind of there because they're supposed to be there and they're, and I only ask this because, I'm one of those people who gets very, very nervous with interactive theater. Um, I get, uh, I I will sink into my chair. I mean, I've seen a lot of theater, but breaking the fourth wall for me and dealing with it as an audience member is difficult. Yeah. Um, How how do you, how do you react to that?
2: I think that's a really valid point, you know, because a lot of people do just want to watch They want to go to the theater and watch it. They don't want to, like, I don't want to have to be called on stage and have to hold juggling pins or whatever, you know, if you end Mm -hmm. up in some interactive show. Um, I, as I said, 20 years on the road, I got to perform live for over 700,000 people, and I've been really lucky. Um, For 10 years, I did the Adelaide Fringe Festival, which is the world's second largest fringe. I did the Edinburgh for seven years, but Adelaide is a unique experience. Have you ever heard of the tall poppy syndrome? No. No. Oh, fascinating. Before you go do theater in Australia, look up the tall poppy syndrome. What that means is if you've got a field of poppies, if one of them sticks up, it gets cut off. And they call it the tall poppy syndrome because it is seen as uncouth in Australia or just kind of against cultural norms to try to stand out, to try to stand among, you know, alone amongst when you're around others. And a good way of describing this, I think, is if we're in America and you see a guy with a Lamborghini drive by, you know, you might be like, oh, cool car, sweet. I'm going to have one of those one day, you know. Right. In Australia, if somebody drives by on a Lamborghini, they're going to be like, ah, you wanker, you show off!" Like, they want to cut somebody off for trying to stand up taller than other people. It's called the tall poppy syndrome. Now, my point is, if you do a show in Australia and you try to get someone out of the audience as an individual rather than as the group, it is very difficult because they don't want to stand out. And so if you ask everybody as a group, do you want to do something? They'll all be like, yeah. But if you pick, if you say can I have a volunteer, every, every eye goes to the floor. Everyone's like, oh God, don't look at me. Whereas in America, if you say can I have a volunteer, there are always going to be some drama kids that are like, pick me, pick me. You know what I mean? That's the way a lot of us grow up. And it's kind of American, you know, in Australia, people will not volunteer. They don't want to be seen as trying to stand out. So I get shows and whether it's live or on Zoom where people, don't want to be picked on. They don't want to, they don't want to look a fool, you know. And so you have to be good at reading not just the people that are too shy, but the people are too enthusiastic, that are too enthusiastic. <laughs> you know, that might mean they've had, you know, six beers. You got to be careful who you choose as part of your show, whether it's too much or too little and not make the shy people uncomfortable and not give the, the insanely drunk people uh, you know, a way to go nuts and take over the show. You always have to. So you have to be sensitive to it and hopefully slowly enroll them into the interactivity without
0: putting them on the spot. Yeah, that's really, really smart because there are a lot of interactive shows out there. Um, I, I went to, this is an, an older, or older, you probably know what I'm going to say, but it's called Tony, Tony and Tina's wedding. Oh yeah. And it's this big like Italian wedding. Uh, I saw it in Vegas. And, um, now they came up to me and they were trying to interact with me. And I was like, "Eh, I don't, I don't think so. Immediately. They obviously were trained to back off and just Mm -hmm. say, just let them watch the show because then they went up to my father-in-law who was like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm so-and-so. And and my father-in-law is like, well, my name is Gary, but you can call me the cement man or something like that. (laughs) I'm serious. He's just, he's just one of those people that, you know, um, so, I just thought it was a good lesson for me as as a theater person. I was like, these people here are trying to identify when somebody is uncomfortable. And then I also like that you brought up the flip of that, because then you see shows like um, like 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Mm -hmm. And you have to be very, very careful with the New York theater people that are being selected, it's for those of you who don't know. In that particular musical, they bring in like five or six different people to be part of the spelling bee, um, but they they're very particular about it, yeah. and you could tell they just you know they don't they don't want somebody who's going to overtake the show. Yeah. Well, and,
2: yeah, you watch people who people get so good at that, and you know, like you watch a stand up, they'll know who to pick on, who to let off the hook, who to or work with, and. I love crowd interaction, but yeah, it's a, it's a delicate art. I think back to my first interactive theater experience. Now I know cats, gets a lot of flack, but when I was a little kid in New York and I went to see cats and that cat, that person got in my face and was, you know, like four inches from my face. And I remember just thinking, (gasps) it was the first time theater had ever come into my face. I was a little kid, you know? And I just remember thinking that was the coolest thing in the whole world that they looked right at me and I felt like I was a part of the show for a moment. And so for me, I'm one of the people that is enthusiastic to help out and to be a part of the show. But, but you have to, as a performer and you get better and better at it. Have you heard of the hundred show suck? No. Oh, all right. Well, a lot of stand-ups and a lot of buskers um, call it the hundred shows suck. When you get up, and you do a show um, in front of a group of people and anything can happen. Like on the street, if you're a street performer, or if you're a stand-up, a lot of them say you need to get a 100 of them under your belt and it's going to be painful. And finally, after, after the 100 shows suck, you're going to have a show together. It's going to be molded and it's basically forged in iron. Um, which is amazing to me that a lot of people get up and do three nights of a run and that's the end of the whole show. Because for me, a show... Is forged in front of an audience somewhat. Because, like I said, they're writing, they're creating the experience with you. If it's not just spectatorship, they're creating it with you. So, how do you navigate the energy and the people that do and don't wanna be involved? And after the 100 shows suck, you know which people wanna play and don't. And, uh, you know, I know that it might sound like a cop out, like, well, the audience is rehearsing with you for 100. It's not just a cop out, it's just understanding humans in that environment and every environment's a little different.
0: Oh yeah, no, I, I totally get it. I mean, one of the things that as, as writers we do is we often workshop our stuff. Our, my writing needs to be workshopped. I take it to writers groups. I want to be in there during that first per, uh, performance of it or that first production um, because you never know. And it's, I've written, like stuff in plays where I thought, Oh man, that's the funniest thing I've ever created in my whole life. And then, <laughs> and then it's like silence, like cricket silence <laughs> when you put it in front of a, um, uh, an audience. And so that's, that's super important because you never know, you know, I would say, I, I think it's funny, but I wrote it. Yeah. So, and who knows how other people are going to, to feel about it. Um, I'm learning so much from you today. This is, <laughs> this is great. I love it. It's just, I'm like taking all these notes about these tech techniques. Oh, well, um, when did you see cats? What year was that when you were oh a, my gosh, hot and they were all up in your face?
2: Oh, that was, it was so long ago. It was the eighties. And um, you know, so I still think at that time there wasn't a lot of interactive theater. You know, you, you went and you watched a Neil Simon show and you loved it and you laughed at it. And, you know, I mean, it's all, all theaters interactive in a way that they can hear your laughter and applause and they have to wait, hold for laughs or they can feel if something doesn't work. But when we opened up the stage and literally just let the audience become a part of the show, that, things shifted. And London is, is doing, is the epicenter, at least was before the the pandemic, of, Really experimental theater where the audiences, uh, audiences have a different place in the experience. And, and you go knowing, you know, in fact, they even in London, I don't know whether or not I agree with this. You can decide. They charge more for certain seats. Like I've been went to a show where you charge, you pay more and you're sitting on the stage, literally not in chairs, just on the stage next to the actors and, or you pay more and you're, you have one actor that takes you around the whole time. And so, you know, maybe that's capitalizing a little bit too much on whether or not it's a bespoke experience, but, but it is, things are changing that people want to be in the show and not watch the show. Mm. Not everybody, but you know, it's, it is more of an experience that people want now.
0: That's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, When we go to London, we have a tendency to see the big stuff. Wow. Because we're not there, and we're we're only there for a short period of time. And it, for those who who would like to go to London, it's like a, a wonderful jumping off point to see other parts of Europe. It's very easy to do. Their train train system is is incredible. Okay. Um. So I don't I don't see a lot of the experimental theater there. I'd love to. I know that there's a, a show that's been there. It's called The Woman in What? That's the there. One. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. two guys, and it's supposed to be scary and dark, oh, yeah. and yeah, I that, that I kind of want to see, but... Yeah, well, you should.
2: Yeah, I and, should. and, you know, seeing underground stuff, you know, you, you used to live in L.A., correct? I did, yes. Well, L.A. has an awful reputation for theater, and... Uh, the reason is, and I'll, I'll redeem what I think about L.A. in a second, but the reason I think L.A. for so long has had a bad reputation for theater is because everybody wants to be in the movies. So theater became so self-serving where people were like smiling to see if there were casting directors in the audience as opposed to doing doing the show. That There's a lot of showcase type theater in L.A. Mm-hmm. But I believe that's really changing um, in that The best theater and the best comedy stand up, everything that's happening in LA is happening in people's backyards, in abandoned buildings, on loading docks. You know, the best stuff is, is, and not just because it's weird, but because it's not, it's not trying to shine itself up and look good for, to hope to get noticed. It's just doing, doing work that is engaging and maybe risky. You know, what is risk in theater? Are you, you know, what is taking a risk? And it doesn't just mean doing it on the street. It just means like, I don't, I'm not going to make this theater so people will like it. I'm just going to make this theater because I think it's interesting or important or fun or whatever. And so I've seen some stuff like one of the best shows I've ever went to in LA was called, uh, stand-up shows, was called, uh, gosh, I'll remember in a second. Uh, It was, it happened in someone's backyard and it was a a show where everyone that comes, uh, I, I wandered around in this neighborhood, found in the backyard of somebody's house. There are about 200 people in a backyard. And I was like, what is going on? And it turns out um, it was a stand-up show. And they take the comics into the house. Uh, and they don't let them know the, the words for it. Uh, for what, what the secret words are. They're secret words. And the, the words might be like ex-girlfriend or the other day or masturbate or whatever those words are. And when the stand-ups, when the stand-up starts doing their set, whenever they say one of these words, the audience cheers and drinks, it's a drinking word for the audience because there's free beer everywhere in the backyard and everyone drinks and the, the stand-up doesn't know what those words are going to be. And so once again, the audience is part of the creative process of the comedy of the experience. Um, And I thought it was just a really good example of how to engage an audience and have them make, have it be organic and created on the spot rather than just come watch my Chekhov play.
0: Right. Yeah. And I'll remember the name of that before we stop talking. Uh, How long has that been going on? I don't recall that from when I lived there, but I didn't, I, I don't think I was as immersed in this world as you are. The weird, there's weird stuff that happens
2: in, and, and probably in New York and London, everywhere. Just these, and that aren't like just black box theaters. They're they're opening up theater in a new way that's, you know, have you ever done any of the audio theater, you know, where you you it takes you on a walking tour while you're listening to a narrative? You can... You can actually, it'll take you through a tour, but there's a story going on, on your, in your ears as you're walking around seeing these locations.
0: I, I, aren't you just, I'm just so fired up about this stuff. I love it. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> no, I I, I I, actually like listening to audio tours of museums and, mm-hmm. um, you know, various locations. So I would probably really like that. I, I really would. I... There's something about having headphones on during a theatrical experience that I really dig in, in Los Angeles. One of the best theatrical experiences I ever had was uh, it's at the Ricardo Montalban theater. Oh yeah. Yeah. uh, In uh, like in the sunset area. And they did a production of the, the who's Tommy. This is like 10, 12 years ago. And rather than listening to it, each, Each chair had a set of headphones that you would put on and you would hear the whole entire thing remixed through headphones. It was incredible. Oh, that's great. I I had never, I'd never seen the show. Um, Alice Ripley was in it, but she played uh, Tommy's mother. I had always wanted to see her in something and she was fabulous, but I thought it was incredible. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why, and this is kind of a secret that I, I, I give out every once in a while on the show. I When I go to the theater, I wear earplugs.
2: Oh, interesting.
0: And the reason why is because I don't want to hear everybody else talking. Ah. I just want to hear what's going on up there. It will just frustrate me and just get me so angry if I've got, you know, somebody back here, you know, making noise and, you know, pulling the candy out of their bag and stuff. So I wear earplugs and I can I can actually hear better it's a little bit more selective hearing so that was like a wonderful wonderful thing so if you have any other recommendations that have that sort of technology well i would look up um, i'm on board
2: (laughs) they're doing theater in the dark now a lot of uh, plays that happen completely in pitch darkness
1: step into the world of power loyalty
2: no purchase necessary vgw group voyeur prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply and everyone has earphones and the way they record these is they record them in um whatever it's called where it's all around you so you'll hear somebody whispering in your ear and you feel like they're whispering just for you and then they walk along and say follow me and it, it builds your imagination in layers that you've just never experienced when you're in pitch darkness where you can't even see your hand in front of your face it's incredible
0: wow that would probably scare the crap out of me. But, but I, I, I would probably still do it. I would just be screaming like you know, a hyena halfway through.
2: Well, <laughs> um, I was just going to say all these ways that, that theater was evolving to use headphones or different sensory experiences and things. I I know that a lot more people are trying to do things online and trying to kind of meet some of that creative energy, even though we're stuck at home. And it is, I can't wait until this what all the things that we've now learned online can explode back into the real world. And when we are in, cause I really do think this, we aren't just on a holding pattern. We people are continuing to create and blow my mind with the things they're doing. So it's going to, it's, it's going to be great when this is all over just because we will be further along than we were when we started.
0: Okay. I agree with you on that. I do. I think that we're learning things that we can incorporate into our creative toolkits, if you will. Um, so, and that's, I've heard a lot of people say that when we've had this discussion, it's, it's, um, it's, it's sort of shifting paradigms and taking out blinders and stuff. And which speaks directly directs speaks directly, excuse me, to exactly what you've been talking about. Um, let's, let's talk about COVID a little bit. Um, talk about that first day that you learned of the theater shutdown and how you've evolved and grown as a result, what was that? You, you know what I'm talking about that very first day. What was that like for you? My everything imploded um,
2: because, like I said, not only do I make all of my living on the road, but almost all the people that I love and, and are my closest friends. I see at Fringe Festival after Fringe Festival after theater festival, you know, and I know that the same people are going to be there when I get back to Winnipeg, Canada, when I get up to, you know, when I do a show in London or, and just knowing that not only was I going to be alone, I, I was going to have, I, everything exploded. I, my, my, um, touring, I already had touring dates set all through, uh, through, uh, Canada for the summer and for, and I was creating a new David Bowie show that I've been working really hard on. I'd gone to, I'd already done nine months of voice lessons to prepare for this show.
0: I can so see it. I can so see it.
2: Thank you. And I just, I was so excited. And so I was fully immersed in the world of learning about David Bowie and kind of like, you know, blowing my mind on how brilliant he was and what, how I was going to try to share a piece of him with live audiences. and 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 then when i couldn't when i realized i couldn't go to voice lessons i couldn't practice at karaoke anymore which i was doing a lot i had to drop that show i had to drop my tours and i was going to be alone in this house i don't have a roommate or anything that i was going to be alone here and uh honestly i was just terrified you know and for months that feeling continued of just uh not knowing if my world was going to ever come back together
0: again do you remember any certain event or person or day that you where things started where you started something turned on or flipped in your mind where you said okay I I I think I could do something else I think I could do something different or did it just sort of slowly but surely sneak up on you
2: I started making a series of of YouTube videos I thought all right you know what I'll do a video every day And that, you know, of course lasted a few months after like 88 days. I was just like, I can't make one every day anymore. Um, and in that, in the meantime, I was learning if technology could facilitate, um, the kind of creative, Process that I wanted to do, you know because we 've all done these things where people are just dropping out and you can 't hear them, and their sounds weird, and the video's off and so so I started collecting you know LED panels and clip on lapel microphones and figuring out how the zoom platform worked, and just kind of trying to see if technology could be interesting at the same time I was going to going to and doing a few uh, improv or um, sketch or Uh, Stand-up shows to see what other people were doing. I I went to a a fantastic show. Impro theater company here in Los Angeles does fully improvised uh, shows. In uh, they they do um, Sondheim and Chekhov and Tennessee Williams and Shakespeare and they do all these different. And so I went to an hour and a half long, fully improvised Chekhov play where people were doing things like they the same people in different rooms in, in different places. Everyone is in different places. They were using the same backgrounds so you'd know which people were, I need to talk to you. And they'd go into a private room to talk. And So even though as the audience, you were still a spectator, they were using the medium where they got in a fight. Two guys got in a fight. And I noticed they all wore the same the men were wearing the same colored jackets or sleeves, so when they punched, the other one could have a, f- a fist come on screen and hit them. So they were having fight scenes and stuff on Zoom, and I was just like, "Yes, people are being so cool. People are being creative outside of just like talking at a box." And at that point, I realized that I could, I could not just storytell, but I could do something where I was talking to everyone, and of course, the mute all button is a huge plus on zoom if, if you can just mute everyone so so if there are dogs barking and alarms going off you can keep muting people so anyway you learn about what you can do share a screen all these little things you can do uh to make the technology not so irritating and um and so slowly but surely i had enough tools to make theater over the internet no that's
0: that's outstanding did you surprise yourself
2: well, um, I mean, I've, I mean, I'm still terrified. I had, I was in the middle of a show, um, doing, uh, with, with, uh, kids all over. It was in Canada and I was, I was the kids. There were probably 15 of them, uh, teenagers. So I was definitely hitting the mute all button a lot. <laughs> and, um, all of a sudden my connection dropped out hmm. and I was just like, and I know I'd let all of them hanging and I couldn't get my computer back on no matter what I do had to call from my phone and try to get them to connect. But on your phone, as you know, you don't have the same capabilities. And so I'm standing against a green wall, like a selfie, doing 30 minutes of a of a fantasy party with dragons and sword fighting. And I couldn't use any of my sound effects. I couldn't use special lighting or backgrounds. And I was drenched with sweat, like a flop sweat from a third grader in a school play by the end of that time. And it's just because... We can't control, and I mean, I'm sure things go bad in tech too, but it seems easier to roll with them when you're not doing all your tech at the same time that you're doing all your lighting and sound and that you're trying to hold the story together and people are dropping off and you're letting them back in. You know, it's, it's scary, this trying to hold it all together yourself.
0: Yeah, it, I can't imagine having to, to deal with the tech that's involved in producing a Zoom show. I really, can't. I mean, I'm okay. I'm going to give you two confessions and one is for now. And one is from something you said before. The first is that I did, I arranged a, an interview with, I think five different people from a school where I had done interviews before out, outside of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I, it, fortunately, they really liked me, yeah.
2: but would- forgot
0: to record the whole thing. Oh, uh huh. That's where the, fortunately, they really liked me came into play because I was like, I'm really sorry, but, um, I forgot to hit the record button. Yeah. So they were very, very nice about letting me re-interview them. I mean, and these are people who are, you know, teaching. This wasn't too long ago. It was, you know, uh, people, people had figured out Zoom school and all of that. And, and there are actually people going to the school and, and doing it uh, COVID friendly, if you will. So, so that's that's my one confession. I okay, know now, this, that's
2: doing. Oh,
0: this is this is my other confession, and it's going to go back to Cats. Oh, okay. The reason why I asked you how old you were and, and when you saw that was because I have to tell you, I saw Cats before it won the Tony Award here at the Winter Garden Theater with Betty Buckley when I was seventeen years old, and. I know. It's just you know, I have to confess to that every time somebody says that. So, and I just I think I just was like a little it was when I was like probably buzzed or something from being here and doing things I should never have been doing. You know, kids if you're listening to this, don't don't be me. It's not good or don't be me then. I'm all right now. And uh and I just I was kind of bored with it. Yeah, I was, but Cats, Cats um, redeemed itself with me um, because they did a revival of it not uh, just recently, probably like three or four years ago at the Neil Simon Theater, and it was incredible. I loved it. Even wow. my husband, who we bonded over the fact that neither of us really liked Cats very much, was like, okay, what happened? Because this is great. What I'm, I saw before, I
2: don't like it.
0: It redeemed itself. Right?
2: Cats gets... People beat up on cats so bad. I know. But I remember just thinking like, hey, this doesn't make sense. And that's kind of cool. You know, like, cause at the time I was like, wait, how does this story have to do with that? What is even going on? As opposed to like, oh, these people meet, they fall in love, there's an obstacle, they finally overcome it, they get together at the end or they don't. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's at least strangely nonlinear. So that's something.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and then of course, the poor movie. I didn't think the movie was that bad. I thought the movie was okay and fun. I, Honestly, I didn't see it.
2: I, <laughs> I, I didn't. I just didn't. I, You know, I still, I pick, I stick
0: up for Cats some, and uh, I, I didn't know what I'd think, so. Well, you know what? Cats has made people billionaires. Oh, well, well so, yeah. That's you true. know, who you am know. I to talk? I'm not a billionaire.
2: <laughs> I think that, now you've mentioned that, I think money's an interesting thing to talk about real quick. And that is, um, I wonder if the large scale productions are going to be okay. I wonder if all the little theater companies are going out of business. I wonder, I just wonder how, I worry about how people are making it. You know, I know so many thousands of touring performers and I hope, you know, it's like I always say, I've been saying, I think that Walmart and Applebee's are going to be fine. But is is that little mom and pops cafe or store going to be okay? I worry uh, that they're not. You know, so I hope people are finding a way to make some money right now. Uh,
0: I hope so. Um, One of the questions I've been asking everyone is what has surprised you the most about your fellow artists reaction to the COVID-19 crisis. And that is what you just said is a, is a majorly popular answer. It's that people are going beyond the uh, artistry and the care extends into, are they surviving? Okay. Yeah. And um I, it's it sounds like that's also going on everywhere else and that's great because you know we I'm in a bubble out here at times. Um it, what is your take on how the Southern California theater scene is dealing with the pandemic specifically? How are they what's going on out there?
2: Well, um October before the pandemic, I was a part of experimental supplies uh um, it House. The it, it 2 was coming out, the movie, uh, It Chapter 2. And I was um, numerous characters in the interactive, uh, immersive experience they created to for that, for the It movie. So I was Pennywise and I was uh, one of the ringmasters that would lead people through. And it was kind of like a haunted house, like a terrifying experience where they tried to bring the movie to life where people would go through it. It was great. And come the next October, we were in the pandemic and I didn't know what was going to happen. And the same company created a drive-through event uh, where they took over a giant parking lot of a mall here uh, that was unused because the mall couldn't be used at the time. So they took over, and there was this drive-through experience where there are all these exper- these uh, kind of things happening. People were just in their cars, and then not long after that, the Stranger Things experience opened up here in Los in Southern California. Um, have you heard about that? It, it, no. All right, you know Stranger Things, the TV show. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, they've created a drive-through experience, or they call it a drive-in experience, and they do that on purpose. And um, it is where people come, you sign up, and it's as if you're a part of the Hawkins High reunion for Stranger Things, and you go as if you're driving to the reunion, and then things start happening. And it's a drive-through theater experience that's still interactive in ways. And I love that. I love that things like that are happening. You know, and Southern California, you know, I said uh, London is the, is the, I think, epicenter of immersive theater. Southern California is known as the, uh, as the center of horror. All the, all horror and haunted houses and haunted experiences, cause Scary Farm and Universal Horror Nights and all of them do these scary things out here. I remember them well. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Halloween is huge in Southern California. Yeah. And I was so curious how they were going to to do that. And then I found out about some places using uh car washes um, so they could have scary haunted type things. You're driving through car washes. And I love that people are rolling with it in that way. Um It's, you know, obviously not the same, but in a way that's kind of cool that it's not the same.
0: Wow. It's so nice to hear that Southern California is like, not just keeping up, but like, just dialing it out big time yeah mm-hmm. that's 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 really cool i'm 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 glad to hear that and you're right um a lot a lot of horror a lot of haunted houses oh, in yeah. southern california i don't know if it goes up into mid and northern california but yeah many times i've gone to not scary farm and had the literal crap scared out of me oh, yeah. seriously it's just, <laughs> i I just know that's gross but um, but it's so I, scary yeah, it, totally, I don't like to be startled, so that's yeah. just but that's just me. Um, well, I'm going to have to let you go because well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to let you go because if I didn't have to, I wouldn't because you're you're awesome. You've been an awesome guest, but before I do, um, please give our audience your social media information so that they can keep up with you and your company and book shows. Excellent. Well, I if you're stuck at home just know
2: that there is theater happening online that is weird and fun and you can get together with your friends and feel like you've escaped your living room and your Netflix for a little while. Um, and I hope I can help as many people do that as possible. Uh, if you go to adventure-party.com, adventure-party.com, you will see uh, you can choose from adventures that I'm leading people on. Uh, like I said, uh, good luck, because it's not up to me whether or not you survive the adventure, but you'll probably do fine. Um, my name is Shelby Bond, and you can go to shelbybond.com and see some of the other stuff I'm doing. I hope to be back on the road this next year, but if we're not, we will keep uh, innovating and keep evolving. So, very, uh, very Sean, cool. I, I sure appreciate you having me on, and thanks for keeping, um, kind of, uh, new theater alive and unknown theater, making it a little bit more known.
0: We appreciate it. It's what I do. And I enjoy doing it as a theater artist myself. Well, thank you for being on the show. Uh, you've been an awesome guest, very, very funny, very enlightening. You've taught me like a million different things in this interview and that's so, so very cool. Um, and I just wish you many broken legs in your career and, and, and with your company um, as we navigate our way toward the best future for theater. So Shelby Bond, thank you very much. You've been great. You've been great, Sean. Thank you. And best of luck to you. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Well folks, the 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken. So it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, a big thanks to Shelby Bond of Minds Eye Adventure Party. He was awesome. So informative. You can find more episodes of your program as your ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with a place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at bpn.fm slash Again, that's bpn.fm slash Your Program Is Your Ticket is also on Facebook at Facebook.com. Your Program Is Your Ticket. I'm on Twitter at at ticket. I'm on Instagram at Your Program Is Your Ticket. I'm also on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Cast, Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK-based theater platform, Thespi. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. It really helps with my profile, and it's awesome if you do that. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer as we transition through and out of this pandemic. Watch their content, give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. It's the fastest way you can help them. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, and remember, theater is for everyone.